0: The Spin is supported by NatWest. Why? Because NatWest loves cricket. The skills it teaches and the communities it creates and want it to be easy for everyone to get involved. To find out about how NatWest is helping make cricket open to all, search NatWest Cricket.
1: I really enjoyed our last episode. It it felt good to be in a room talking about the game. As someone who likes to let it all out, it was either that or a lot of very expensive therapy. It's a few days now since the World Cup finished and we've all had a little space to reflect on what was an absolutely epic tournament. And it's only now it's coming into some sort of perspective, not least because I have actually been sleeping since the final. I've spoken to a lot of people who still don't know how to feel Days have passed and we're still not quite sure what we've witnessed over the past seven weeks. And even though we know we couldn't put ourselves through it all again right now in our current state of exhaustion, we are all secretly hoping the Ashes is going to be even more thrilling. The World Cup wasn't perfect, and I know my guests have got some things they would like to get off their chest. This is the second part of a doubleheader, so if you missed our previous episode where we relived the World Cup final, I'd suggest having a listen to that one before this. Unless you're a Kiwi Because we want you guys to take care of yourselves, okay? It's the spin. There's a movie out now about England's rise to the top of the test rankings. It's called The Edge, and Barney Douglas, who made it, is on the show. Hopefully, they'll make a movie about Owen Morgan's men next. Although, good luck making that ending any more dramatic. We'll reveal our nominations for our completely unofficial Catch of the World Cup award. And now the tournament's over, we're filling in our feedback forms to send to the ICC. How do you spell cricket, Arrest? It's The Spin! I'm Emma John and this is The Spin, the cricket podcast which still just wants to give Kane Williamson a hug. Patiently sitting around the boundary of our oval table since the last episode although we have let them take a hydration break, it's Daniel Norcross, Atif Nawaz, Barney Douglas and Barat Sanderason. The pictures of Michael Atherton and Shakib Al-Hassan are still here, reserving their place in the squad for their debut whenever they're free to make it. We're all warmed up already, so let's get straight into things. If you're having England cricket withdrawal symptoms, I have some suggestions for you. Give county cricket a try. There have been some amazing games recently. Or if watching a quarter of a game unfold over a whole day isn't your thing, we're only days away from the start of the 2020 blast. There's a third option. You could find a cinema and watch The Edge, which tells the story of England's previous mission before they set out to win the World Cup, when they set their sights on becoming the number one test team in the world. Barney, it's your film. Uh, And it would appear that the ECB is pretty good at setting a target and achieving it. Is it really that simple?
0: Well, as the film shows, it's probably not as simple as that. But yeah, I mean, similar parallels. This side obviously set a target and, and now achieved it by winning the World Cup. And a few years previous, 2009, England at their lowest ebb, smashed in the Caribbean and did the same thing and set their targets to be the best test side in the world film follows that story and then the the fallout to a degree afterwards. And I think perhaps that'll be interesting to see how England deal with it differently this time.
1: We're giving no spoilers about what the fallout is.
0: Oh well I think everybody knows that obviously from a team perspective there were issues in the in the dressing room. But this films certainly i thought they were pretty well documented the whole peterson and all that kind of stuff so we're talking
1: about peterson and strauss Uh, yeah uh, falling out there being text messages between yeah exactly
0: and i felt that look if the film's about that it's already been done there's nothing really new to be said and that to me was not the spirit of the film that i wanted to make and and also i didn't feel like that wouldn't carry a, a cinematic feature i wanted to do something that meant a bit more to people and actually spoke to more people perhaps, who weren't even that interested in cricket, but could try and understand the the humanity of the people involved. um, That's that's, a, that's a
1: really good word, the humanity, because I think that in the interviews in the film... The players come off um, sort of more human and more interesting and more funny than I've ever seen any of them before <laughs> on, on kind of normal sports media interviews. They, they are real, real people on screen. Massively. And, you know, from
0: my perspective, this, the starting point of this film was I was always quite frustrated with the way that that team has always portrayed since and how the fallout really made the whole thing bitter. But they were some of the best moments of my life as a fan watching England watching them win in Australia, you know, all that kind of stuff. That For a couple of years, that team was, was brilliant to watch and really provided great cricketing memories. So part of my starting point was to kind of redress the balance of that and actually kind of remember that side but then as the interviews went on and we started to kind of talk about some of the impact on the players that constant drive for success you know resulted in it became something I hope deeper and with a bit more meaning than just a cricket team winning.
1: Well the other big theme of the film is the the sacrifice that those players make to get to the top and Jonathan Trott is featured heavily as an example do you think that's changing in terms of the sacrifice it has made to their mental health, essentially. Do you think there's a more holistic approach to players' well-being now?
0: I I think definitely. I think the England team going forward with the new coaches and captain and even Strauss kind of at the helm starting that Mm -hmm. recognised that there needed to be a change because the intensity, I think, A, the world had changed a bit, but B, the the intensity of being successful as a top international Mm -hmm. sportsman, particularly in cricket where you're away so much of the time and reality starts to distort... I think they realise that that's not sustainable, essentially. So when they perhaps started to build the idea of winning this World Cup, it was actually a much more collective, embracing the family, embracing enjoying the game and enjoying the experience. I think there'll be a new challenge now, having lifted that World Cup and reached that target how they then reset and go again. But certainly, I think things have changed since this team. And I think hopefully this film acts as a bit of a reminder of that.
1: Yeah, and a reminder of some players who, you know, have slightly passed out of our lives. (laughs) Although I did notice that Chris Tremlett doesn't get a voice.
0: Well, Chris, I think we, I mean, to be honest, we kind of of looked at how many test people have played how much budget we had, like <laughs> how many interviews to do. And it's I feel really
1: funny because there's a picture of the whole team, isn't briefly, there? And you just yeah. like you just see him sort of as the camera. Yeah. Pa- uh, I don't know what the right word is. Not pans. It, it sort yeah, of focuses in. Yeah, I and feel he a dead, bit he sort of disappears out of the sight. I of do this feel
0: picture. sorry for Chris. And he didn't actually play that many Test matches, but obviously was involved in that massive series. So my heartfelt apologies go to
2: Chris
0: (laughs) but I think generally like you say you know the trots I think trying to get to players that we wouldn't necessarily hear as much from Finn, Panesar, Bresnan who's a big favourite of mine in the film as well so and and hearing their stories and their experiences and showing that it was also a great time you know you, you could listen to some people and think that it was the worst time that's ever, <laughs> you know, you know, like, oh, wow, why did you even bother, you know, type thing. So I, I think it was great to give other people an opportunity to talk about what was a really special time in their lives. And Strauss towards the end and Collingwood as well kind of say a few lines that, that really get me every time. So um, I think it was a kind of chance for closure for a lot of these people and they're moving on in their lives. And I think they approached it in the right way. And, and hopefully it comes across in the film.
3: I started at something called Test Match Sofa, and the first match we did was the Cardiff Test Match. So uh, we sort of started that with the expectation that English cricket was disastrous and was going to be awful (laughs) and and the Ashes was just going to be another hellscape. And then for the next few years, of course, we sort of followed them as they went through and became number one. But I wondered, because we used Twitter quite a lot in those early days in order to reach out to people, And it was the first sort of Twitter generational team, wasn't it? Mm. And I wondered if maybe the way in which they were seen as players was partly because of that sort of snarky attitude that you get on Twitter. I mean, Twitter's about trying to be funny, and you're not being funny if you're going on about how much you like someone. So people tended to be sarcastic and a little bit abrasive and unpleasant about people, and that team... I don't really remember people holding them individually with a great deal of affection, which from the bits of the film I've seen is really unfair, isn't it? And, and the players that I also know and now work with because that doesn't correlate with the way people thought about them at the time
1: absolutely it? i wasn't sure that i liked them as a team <laughs> even, yeah. even while they were achieving all the things i'd always wanted an england team to achieve yeah it was very strange but i tell you who i thought came across very well was kevin peterson i don't know whether that was just the editing barney
0: no i think
1: <laughs> no i think
0: for me I, it's interesting because i think some people say that and some people say the opposite what i like really is the way people like flower strauss mm, Pryor. They admit to frailties. They're rounded characters, essentially. They're able to look back and say, I could have done that better, or we should have changed this, or, yeah, life was difficult at that stage. They kind of give you fully rounded perspectives of them as people, and I think that takes sort of courage and bravery. So those are the people for me that stand out.
1: So I know you have to leave us because you are going to talk to Ali Mitchell on the BBC.
0: Is that right? Well, that's probably next year, but I... (laughs) I'm a bit worn out from the...
1: (laughs) I was going to say, thank you for, for sharing the memories and the emotions with us.
0: No worries. Can I quickly say, you really should see The Edge, if you can, in the cinema. It really comes across well on the big screen. So if you can find it, it's in loads and loads of cinemas nationwide and so hopefully it's one near you. So if you can see it, support cricket on the big screen.
1: And take somebody who doesn't like cricket because I think they will still enjoy the narrative of this film and you might just convert somebody. Kane Williamson was awarded player of the tournament on Sunday evening. There's actually a wonderful clip of him being told the news by an official. And of course, his reaction is, who, me? (laughs) Are you serious? I don't think anyone around this table would begrudge him that accolade. He has earned it more than anyone. But who would you pick as runner up?
2: There's a few options, aren't Rohit Sharma is the Mm -hmm. obvious option. You've got five centuries in the World Cup. That's pretty impressive. Obviously, Mitchell Stark had a great tournament Mm -hmm. with the ball as well. And they were the two obvious dudes. And I know it's sometimes a bit strange to give that award to somebody who wasn't in the final like the final carries extra points doesn't it (laughs) so if it was anyone other than Kane Williamson I might feel like I was robbed but because it was Kane Williamson they would have been been more
3: like yeah go on then I've got two options and I think they both deserve it way ahead of Kane Williamson who just sauntered through the tournament being immaculately brilliant (laughs) There's Mohammed Shazad. No, I don't mean that. In all seriousness, there are two. shakib Al-Hassan, because we kept on getting bombarded with stories, you know, the fantasy league, how many points you get. Well, actually, that was fair because he'd scored 600-odd runs, taken 11 wickets. He held that team together. He was absolutely brilliant. He played some of the most magnificent shots. He did them at a great strike rate. He played for an unfancied team. Actually, I think in all seriousness, he was the player of the tournament above Williamson for his all-round performances. My other one, though, my other man is Ben Stokes because, look, he averaged well over 60, but he was going at four and a half runs and over with the ball. People forget that he actually bowled 50 overs in that tournament. He got England over the line not just in the final, but in the first game against South Africa, he got them up to a total that proved too much for South Africa. A number of times he got in the 70s and the 80s. He fielded like a maniac he was all-round package. Uh, he's got a redemptive story. It was all superb, wasn't it?
1: Barrett, what about yours?
4: <sighs> this is going to make me really unpopular in all around England. But David Warner to go through what he had gone through over the last twelve months for whatever reason we know what happened in Cape Town and to be booed every time you walked out, you walk out to bat and every minute you spend at the crease and to like overcome all that, soak it all in and uh, not be David Warner not being David Warner is what I think should win him the player of the tournament and, I, I, and he changed the style he was really he batted beautifully and he
1: finished one run behind Robert Sharma in the runs table and,
4: you know, yeah I think he really enjoyed that booing though I think he took it
2: he was like a WWE villain yeah, like exactly. a bad guy wrestler Heel, yeah. who walks in and like he's just like yeah boo me yeah, boom that's me, what man. I want yeah. boo this spurs me on yeah, like, let me I like, want to taste your tears <laughs> yes <laughs> I am like that guy I am the bad guy oh, absolutely, like, yeah. I think, think he's just he's found stone a stone cold Steve
4: Austin of the, world cricket yeah, there <laughs> we go Oh, yeah, there you go. There's a comparison. Well, my, my
1: runner-up is, of course, Shaky, because, you know, there's a reason why we have a picture of him on the table. There's a reason why he is the only person who gets to sit anywhere near the picture of Michael Aston. Mm-hmm. But I think if I had a runner-up to the runner-up, I think I'd pick Sheldon Cottrell because I really feel like he just brought the spirit of the tournament because I think the runner up to the runner up is allowed to. It's not all about the performances and the winnings, but I, he was involved in every aspect of West oh, Indies true. games and he just deserves it for the salute, which was one of the most joyous things that happened. in this Did tournament.
3: that salute pass the next test of comedy? Because when I saw him do it five times in one game, I thought, oh, no, I don't like this now. But, you know, the test of comedy is that you you do it, you repeat it a few times, it gets really irritating, then you do it over and over and over again, and it becomes brilliant again. It's like a catchphrase.
1: Oh, yeah, it's definitely still brilliant. It's still brilliant. It's possibly more brilliant than ever.
3: The end of it, the last bit of it, is exactly like the guy in the credits to Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Have you ever seen that, oh, program? Yes. It's like that. Okay. Right, the,
1: um, breakable.
3: That's it. Oh, you're the two people who watched that show. <laughs> I oh,
4: know. That's yeah, it. I Get know. out. Get out. We uh, found them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, renew so it. Renew it. you got some people to watch it.
1: Can we talk a little bit about the spirit in which this World Cup was played? The players set a very high standard. The fans brought the atmosphere and the cricketers also played their part. I do, however, have a little issue with some of the forced fun that's been creeping into these tournaments. Has everybody else felt, as I have, that the spirit of the tournament has actually been exceptional, possibly unique... Certainly between the teams. I don't think I've ever seen a, a cricket tournament played with so much an absence of niggle.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was re- the, the players having each other's backs was really nice as well. You know, like we talked about David Warner being the pantomime villain, it was really nice to see Coley come out and, you know, defend him and just like this fraternity of cricketers looking after themselves. Also, the interaction between like the so called superfans and uh, and some of the players as well was really nice. Again, we're at Coley with, you know, the, the, the lady, I forget her name, but
1: Cherulata Patel, I think. You're just not Fire today, know, this is amazing. Getting, I mean, knocking just, these
4: pronunciations out of the park. Wow! Like honestly,
2: <laughs> oh. he. he uh, I mean, it was just such a sweet, mo- like it was a really sweet moment. It was, you know, one of those things that gets shared on those good news websites around the world in India and in Pakistan and everywhere. It was this demonstration of cultural behavior with with elderly people. It was, it was just, it was just so beautiful, and like there were so many little moments like that. That just uh, off the top of my head, even I remember after India-Pakistan match, like there were a lot of Indian fans being exceptionally supportive to Pakistanis. After the Bangladesh match, uh, the Pakistan Bangladesh match again, there was a lot of that going on as well. There was one match which I don't really want to <laughs> bring up where I was held for my own security by
3: security because that was a, a tough one. We should mention that yeah. Pakistan, Afghanistan. Yeah, That's quite uh, headingly because it was it's it, it, it got me labeled TMS. Well, it really st- it struck out because of or how it had not been like that anywhere else, and it was kind of weird because no one was prepared for it the cricketers weren't prepared for it security wasn't prepared for it people were jumping over railings to get in without tickets and they weren't able to be stopped it was unique in my experience, and no other game did that. But there were pitch invasions and what have you. Yeah, but those pitch
2: invasions were hilarious because they were like, it was like yeah. the sl- slightly you know chubby yeah. dudes yeah. just bouncing around it's as actually- they run onto the pitch, <laughs> looking like about as threatening as a Teletubby. Like it's just, it was extraordinary. Like, one, to of them see was, them.
3: one of them was felled with an astonishing two-footed studs-up tackle from a steward. Yeah, that was, he yeah. just went straight yeah. in like Vinnie Jones on Steve McMahon in the 1988 <laughs> FA Cup final, and sent this guy just flying through the air. It was. <laughs> A joy to watch, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, everybody was lovely, weren't they? The Bangladesh fans were my favourite, without a doubt. They made the Oval rock. They were just superb. Trying to, you know, see a guy with two tigers, one under each arm, try and catch a ball in the crowd was hilarious. <laughs> um, everybody was disappointingly lovely to each other on the field of play. They didn't seem yeah, to be no, exactly kind of that kind of. Was niggle? it
1: because Australia were? You know, constrained behavior. and on their best behaviour do you think that changed the whole yeah. feel I mean, of the
3: tournament they are like the vial of poison aren't they uh, the, <laughs> that, uh, that kicks off all sorts of awfulness they're like that what's that thing that uh, you're supposed to make bread out of that's the yeasty thing oh the what's starter it called? yeah the starter dough. they are the starter dough for everything that goes wrong in any tournament and for some reason I, I don't know whether it's because of what's happened Aaron Finch being a brilliant and Absolutely. lovely man and a really good captain and Alex Carey behind the stumps so your you're kind of your axis of evil which is usually mm. captain keeper was neutralised because the captain was wonderful and Carey's wonderful And then they were sort of subdued, weren't they, Smith and Warner. And therefore the rest of the team came in behind them and they were a delightful presence, which was all a bit sinister.
1: Well, I thought it was like every team was competing to be the nicest team because, you know, New Zealand just were the nicest team and they didn't have to try. But because of the kind of plaudits they got and because Australia were, as we were saying, trying to prove that they were nice, even England, who were the... Let's face it, the one team who gave a bit of niggle at the start of the tournament didn't seem to uh, be quite in the same spirit as everyone else because they were so serious about, like, we're going to win this and we're going to do it our way and our way is going to be fun, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) But they, they actually got themselves a little bit wound up, I think. But I think everyone else just really kind of took this up they took up the mantle of oh no this is the nice games this year
2: and also like just a, a word to the people on social media who really made because this is like the best like the, just even in losses there were teams that were coming up with hilarious content yeah. uh, they were on the odd occasion it got a, I felt it was a little bit too personal in the way that it attacked some of the players but generally it was you know, in good humour It was quite funny It was shared by the players Who had a sense of humour about it Which was quite nice So, I mean, it was great It was a really Kind of three-dimensional experience This World Cup And you, know, you really
3: You got that whole Second screen thing in as well It was brilliant And it was enthralling But I will say that If I ever bump into Those two kangaroos At the <laughs> Australia <laughs> Games Again Their forced jollity I mean, you well, know Big Bird in Sesame Street Is the worst character Of the can't lot can't By know. miles It was like having Two giant Sickeningly more juvenile And puerile Big Bird Bouncing, (laughs) literally bouncing.
1: Ativ, let's talk about the forced jollity and let's also talk about the fact that we did have presenters making announcements in oh, yeah. between mm. overs because that was very strange. I found it quite uncomfortable <laughs> occasionally as a fan watching and thinking, you've got two people who have mics and are broadcasting across the PA about how badly England are doing. Yeah. The team can hear you.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hosted seven games. So like, I and I was always acutely aware of the fact that the players could hear me. So I try and keep my stuff as vague. And as broad as possible. Don't single anybody out specifically. Also, what was really difficult is again, if I go have India-Pakistan match, right? In the most harrowing of circumstances, because India are decimating Pakistan, my heart is breaking into a million pieces. I need to get on the mic and go. And guys, remember the shirts are on discount today, so make sure <laughs> you pop into the store and buy yourself some shirts and merchandise while I cry myself into my microphone. Uh, it, it, like I think it kind it was kind of fun. I don't think any of the there were some guests who occasionally. Got too granular in their analysis, and it was like, dude, chill. This is for, this is for the crowd. You're not, you're not on, like the cricket writers' club right now." For a good reason. You, know, like, you, don't, you don't need to stop. He's like, "Well, you know, Rashid's averages."
1: No. Also, the big screen. I'm not sure, Atif, that the big screen stuff worked. Mm. I was not convinced by fan cam snack cam well, snack cam was my jo- least favourite snack
2: wants- cam was brilliant the first day we did it was um, uh, Pakistan West Indies which was also the last day of Ramadan so they, they go into <laughs> yeah. the crowd for snack cam and you just see a bunch of hungry Pakistanis <laughs> <laughs> like, and I was like dude seriously like, you've got to clock these things and then the make it large was hilarious so the make it large was, I was sponsored by Royal Stag And they, they, there were a couple Of other alcohol Related sponsors And one of them was like They give you Your, your height in cider And uh, they did this At Pakistan Bangladesh ah! There were no takers yeah. <laughs> No cider was, uh, was was Taken away that day Yeah I mean There were just a few Little mini sort of Cultural But I mean the thing is A lot of the fans Who came to the stadium They were aware of this I think in terms of Like cultural sensitivity This was the most Culturally sensitive World Cup There were family areas In some of the uh, South Asian teams' games, where there wasn't any drinking or you know, like behaviour was supposed to be constrained, like there's no loud yelling and certainly no swearing, Mm. that kind of stuff. So it was fine; like it was really nice. I mean, obviously these are little gaffes, and they're kind of fun to point out. But overall, I don't think it was a World Cup that excluded anybody at any point. Really,
3: Pakistan played Bangladesh at Lords, and the breakfast was um, turkey rolls, not bacon rolls. (laughs) Well, they made the
1: whole ground halal that day. They They also kept pointing out that they had put side prayer rooms, but also that people were welcome to go to the Regent's Park Mosque. And when Pakistan played South Africa in the first game at Lord's, MCC admitted they had slightly been caught napping. So those were things they had not thought about, the food offering and the prayer rooms. And so I love the fact that they mm-hmm. changed it straight away yeah. and they it got it right for the next game. Yeah,
2: they did. It was great. As I say, like I've got a lot of friends and family and like people who went and attended all these games and none of them had anything negative in that regard to say about it. They were really happy with the facilities, that the way things were provided the food and things like that and also like you know a lot of the crowd bring their own food from home which they share as well which is what i love right like at the world cup final my brother and my nephew were there and he, he bought like a bunch of kebab rolls from home because he can't live without me he's one of those people and uh he, he was just handing them out to these england fans in the stand at a difficult <laughs> moment. and so it was just a nice atmosphere all the way throughout and these little instances it's really nice that they're sensitive to them but they were almost not necessary because like the fans just they were there to have a good time and they Really did have a good time, and the, one of the only kind of um, things that made people take pause about the f- lineup in the, the final was the fact that there were no South Asian teams, only because of the atmosphere created. Hmm. But I would argue that the way the England fans responded, particularly by the end,
4: it, it, it sounded There
2: was a bit of wristiness in that act, you know what I mean? As they say.
4: Yeah. The only thing I did not like, I'll tell you, is that. The poor guitarist Who had to play The same old riffs Over and over yeah. again
1: No so I feel sorry, sorry to, for Barrett. it, You <laughs> are getting that Entirely <laughs> the wrong way because, because You did like, like, not have to, to play, the 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 verify, long... play the same I
2: can mix. verify this Like having known Each of the guitarists Over the course of the tournament Who are really lovely guys Some of whom have never Watched cricket before They were given a playlist yeah, So they have I'm to sure play they, To that yeah, playlist I, they, For each know. wicket Now the, the most frustrating Thing for them is like Again at the South Asian games Are people requesting Bollywood songs Or Bhangra songs Or just anything Related to the thing, and like there's songs that are just cricket iconic, like you know, Dil Dil Pakistan. Yeah. Every cricket fan knows that, so you kind of expect the guitarist, but they didn't have it organized in that way. It was a specific <laughs> playlist, and depending on which song was being played by the guitarist, you'd know how many wickets had fallen.
4: Yeah, because okay.
2: it was always the same. So if you're paying attention, you'd know that like when Blur Song 2 came on. X had just happened or why it just happened. I was not paying attention.
3: None of us were yeah. paying
4: attention. We were yeah. we were planning a homicide. <laughs> yeah And I'll tell you who like who I felt really bad for. It was that long haired guy. The yeah. guy in London, because I could almost picture him like, you know, thinking about his music career at that point. There he was, like, you know, standing at Lords or the Oval, playing the same riff over and over again. I could picture him going back home, standing in front of the mirror and playing some mom scene or something. Like, yeah, that's who you are. Yeah.
1: Well, there is one piece of entertainment I personally enjoyed very much. And I found them at the nursery ground at Lords, a band called Buckley's Chance, who were playing traditional Australian folk songs during the Australia games. And they were fantastic. I mean, I wish they were here so I could show you how broad... Brilliant they were. Oh, hello Buckley's Charts. I love it. How was the World Cup for you guys?
5: Well it was fantastic, I must say, because we got to see all of Australia's games and cool. we were paid to do it. So.
1: <laughs> That's pretty good. Who were you rooting for in the Australia England semi final then?
5: You won't be surprised to you know we were supporting Australia. <laughs>
1: Well, I just wondered, you know, since I have a feeling that not all of your band are Australian.
5: Yes, but spiritually they are now. And they (laughs) they kind of were under orders that they had to be, you know, because they they had this prospect of playing at a final. So they had to really polish up their Aussie accents, which you'll hear about in a minute.
1: (laughs) Well, we're about to take a break. So could you please play us out with some music?
5: Absolutely. me way down to the cave with the big ship now the play to command a gang of navvies I was ordered to engage well I thought that I'd call in for a while before I went away to take a trip on an emigrant ship to the shores of Botany Bay farewell to your bricks and mortar farewell to, you to your dirty line farewell to your gangway and your gangplanks gang and, planks and to hell with your overtime with for the good ship ragamuffin, ragamuffin. He's lyin' up the quay but to take your pat with a shovel on his back To the shores of the Bay Farewell to your wixom order Farewell to your dirty line Farewell to your gangway and your gangplanks to hell with your overtime For the good shit ragamuffin is lying up the quay For to take old pat with a shovel on his back To the shores of the Bay
2: When Utoxeter Cricket Club had to leave their beloved grounds of 60 years, it looked like it might be the end for the area's only club. Enter NatWest Cricket Force, an initiative created to support community clubs across the country. They help them make a new home in a former cricket ground, breathing new life into the space and the team. Why? Because NatWest believes cricket should be easy for everyone to play. It's paired up with the Guardian Labs to tell more stories about experiences like these. Read them at theguardian.com forward slash NatWest cricket. This message was paid for by NatWest.
1: I'm Emma John and this is The Spin. It's been a brilliant World Cup. Yes, there were some things to grumble about, although it's amazing how many of those have disappeared from my mind since the England win. But there was one thing that was missing and... We're going to put that right right now. There wasn't an official catch of the tournament. So we're going to hold our own completely unofficial and definitely in no way sanctioned or endorsed by the ICC catch of the tournament. Atif, Dan Barrett and I have all picked one. And I just want you each to tell us your favourite. So, Dan, let's start with you.
3: I'm going to pick one that I don't think anybody will pick. But I promise you that every cricketer and every coach that I've spoken to about this says that this is the hardest catch pulled off in the tournament it's Ravi Jadeja catching Jason Roy at long on in obviously the match between England and India he's on a roll England 160 odd for none of 22 he's thrashing the spinners straight down the ground he hits his flat ball can never gets more than about 8 feet off the ground at phenomenal speed Jadeja has to run about 15 yards to his left and dive forward. Any failure there to get that perfectly in his hands and the ball goes straight in his mush and the beautiful Jadeja is suddenly a toothless (laughs) grandparent. (laughs) All gummy and weird. (laughs) He took his future beauty and his life in his hands. It was a spectacular piece of fielding performed on the run that required unstinting bravery and all completely pointless cuz he sided injubitably lost the game already because England were 160 for none off 23 so it was a futile act of genius.
2: Atif your catch please. <laughs> okay so mine's uh, again one that people might not pick very much it was supposed to be a dead rubber in fact I had a, ended up having a, a, an accidental debate with a legendary cricketer about this match and this catch in particular it was Quentin de Kock just diving to well he just I, I have this great respect for wicket keepers because I've only kept wicket in one match in my life and as was the you know, wicket keepers off sick and I was the only person who had the right pads the The way he kind of defies gravity the way he got himself up and just took that catch and that crucial dismissal at that moment which turned the game which led to south africa winning a game and helped me beat this cricketer in a in a debate um it was just it was incredible i couldn't believe he took it i had to watch the replay several times on the big screen that he'd managed to take the thinnest of top edges going through and it was enough of a top edge that like 99 times out of 100 is Flying away for a one bounce, four, maybe even six at a small ground. The fact that he managed to grip it in just that little webbing mm. of the glove, the tip of the webbing of the glove, it was extraordinary. Like Quentin de Kock, I was just like, oh, it was one of those moments where you're really in awe of somebody's physical capabilities. as a hu- Like you are the pinnacle of human being design. You know, you're <laughs> like this, what you've done is what we should all aspire to. Like I, can't, I would love to do that with like a donut at some point. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) in my life yeah the cricketer in question was Sachin Tendulkaran if you're listening to the Sachin which you may be
4: you argue with such intentional current lift. Not on it. purpose. Okay, like, can can we play this podcast out <laughs> no, in no, India, please? Like, so, yeah, here, we need... <laughs> here's what happened. Right,
2: I, I was coming down the lift in Lords. It was Pakistan, Bangladesh. And I was coming down, the, and there's it's two very small lifts at Lords, right? So you kind of cramp in, and there were a bunch of people behind me, and like they were speaking in Hindi, and you know I, I, I speak and understand Hindi, so I had my back turned to them, and they were saying something about the match between Australia and South Africa being a foregone conclusion. I was like, well, I don't know. You know, South Africa won their previous game, and you know they're looking good. They won by nine wickets. And the guy The voice says to me Who do they be I said the West Indies He's Like, There's a big difference Between the West Indies And Australia I'm like Well I don't know You know if There's sometimes A winning mentality They want to leave The tournament With something to win And Manchester Is a difficult kind of He's like, I think you're going To be wrong my friend I'm like I don't know mate I've watched a lot of cricket <laughs> Anyway, I, anyway yeah. and, then, and then The lift doors open I turn around And who was I debating with only the greatest player in the history of the game, Sachin Tendulkar.
4: And you didn't recognise his voice? It didn't sound like... Yeah, no, because I was all in Hindi. Hindi. I haven't heard him speak in Hindi very often. Oh, so fair. speaking in Hindi,
2: and like, I, was just, I couldn't believe it. Well, There's a deeper voice in Hindi, though. I had no excuse for missing out. The thing is, I'd been drowned out by like mm. South Asian voices and accents and languages in that day. So I'm like going from one Hindi to one Punjabi to one Gujarati conversation, and then occasionally finding someone to speak to English in as well. So everything was a mess. And then I turned around and just looked, and it was Sachin Tendulkar. And I was like,
1: how did you do that up
2: there? How did you get in a debate with the greatest batsman of all time and <laughs> win because you're the best? That's why.
1: <laughs> the thing I take from that is you got in a lift with him. I mean, you know, I know yeah. how small those lifts are. Do you know, and- like,
2: I was you, and I actually had my phone in my hand at the time. I was texting somebody. I actually had this thought like, is it, too, is it weird to ask for a photo now? After that. Probably, yeah. Moment's gone. Moment's <laughs> gone. I'm mate. surprised
4: you weren't like tasered by all that security. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. He disagreed yeah. with Sachin. Take him out now. Like a drone turns up
2: immediately.
1: There is no way they were fitting all Sachin's security yeah, in that no lift. Way, yeah. Barrett, what about your? catch of the tournament
4: you know we spoke so much about Sheldon Cottrell and the salute and now it's it's become a meme he's going around like kids all around the world are doing it which is great but I remember interviewing him many years ago when he was just about to make his debut and he told me about how like he used to be a soldier in in the Jamaican force and uh, he fought alongside guys in like some drug war in Kingston and he lost guys around him so the salute started out as a tribute to his fallen brothers. And uh, that's how it started. So I would actually get a little annoyed when people would make fun of the salute and you know almost like paint it out like just a wicked celebration, which it wasn't. Okay, he has added the little ah in the end, uh, and uh, like and which apparently reminds you guys of that show that nobody watches. But like, you know. <laughs> but it was this catch of Steve Smith at Nottingham. Steve Smith was really getting going, and that ball should have gone for six. And he put his hand out, and I like the catch not just because he caught hold of it. Great catch, yes. But growing up in Bombay, we were always running to catch trains or buses, and like you know, they're crowded. People are falling out. But when whenever they would see someone running towards a moving train or bus, someone would always stick their hand out, almost like to pull you in. There are Bollywood movies with famous scenes. Oh leather. yeah, yeah. And you would always miss it, like they, you know, you would, and they would give you that look of oh maybe next time. <laughs> in reality, it's it was always a good thing because if he would have ever grabbed my hand, I would have been like swept under the train. So it's a good thing it didn't happen but it reminded me of the fact that yeah Sheldon caught caught the bus that was his left-handed salute to the world cup
1: and he didn't Beautiful. just catch it he then then threw it back to himself yeah. over the boundary which just added a whole extra level of nonchalant cool absolutely it's jamaican man <laughs> <laughs> well i'm going to go back right to the start i'm i'm going to make my case for ben stokes on the boundary what we now all know as the claw catch he took a catch which everyone says was actually not a great catch because he was slightly in the wrong place um, against South Africa and uh, and that was why he ended up having to twist his body into such strange permutations to get hold of it. Was this not a panto catch,
3: according to you? Is oh that behind goodness, him?
1: It was behind him! It
3: is behind, it's a panto catch and you, you invented
1: officially that. officially counts as the Emma John panto catch. That's what, it's going to be. <laughs> that's what it's going to be known as. It
3: was on. tremendous. And, and the, all the commentary that went with it and all the massive excitement and all, of course, the furious rage from everybody else that's not English because everybody else around the world, mm. if, if the English take any compliment on board, you know, for example, you know, if, if somebody scores 420 runs in an innings in a test match and they're English, there'll be somebody who'll come back and say, not as good as Saywag. Not, 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 was, not as good as Dravid yeah, yeah. Not as, hey Coley I mean, because it's not <laughs> it isn't possible for somebody in English to do well and it not make other people resentful it was how the tournament should have started it was a moment of genius wasn't it and the picture because mm. you just got this wonderful picture of the arm like a periscope
1: again I, I just I keep saying there are just so many moments of this World Cup that need to be made into statues and that is one of them. Well, like, I mean,
2: this that Stokes... I mean, why don't we just cut out the middle man and put Stokes on the new 50... Like, sorry, Sir Alan Turing. Yeah. We're going to put Ben <laughs> Stokes on the back of the new 50-pound note, yeah, taking that catch,
3: and I don't think anybody's going to have an issue with That's it. That's about the moat, too. I would say that, <laughs> personality-wise, I'm saying that they're on the very opposite ends hmm. of certain spectra. Sir Alan Turing, you mean? Turing, I don't think you can get somebody further away from Alan Turing than Ben Stokes.
1: Don't you think Alan Turing would have done a good job, though, nerdling those middle overs for England?
3: No, he would have tried to find a solution that got all the runs in one go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let us know which is your favourite catch. Here are your options. Dan's nomination is Jadeja catching Roy. Atif's says DeCock catching Coley. Barrett's is Cottrell catching Smith. My catch is Ben Stokes catching. Pesh Choir,
3: Beautifully pronounced, I thought, as well.
2: Thank you it? very much. Yeah. First I mean, go. It's hard to
3: say Ben Stokes, but you did it quite well, I'm going to say. <laughs>
2: I'm going to say, yeah. Send
1: us an email to thespin at theguardian.com and we'll announce the winner in the next show. There are 1,302 days until the next Cricket World Cup and I'm sure the BCCI are filling in their feedback forms as we speak and we're about to do the same. So... Dan, could you provide us with some feedback for things you'd like to see in the 2023 World Cup in India, please?
3: A couple more teams, possibly even. I saw a beautiful idea of two groups of seven from Vic Marks, and then the top teams would go through to a semi-final, and then the teams that finish second and third would then be in like a kind of quarter-final. So you still get all the nice knockout stuff, but you also get rewarded if you finish top of the table and you bring in... Uh, teams otherwise wouldn't have played, so we might have got the chance to see the likes of Ireland and Scotland and Zimbabwe and what have you. I would like to see the cricketerist embalmed <laughs> and buried deep beneath a pyramid. And just for the hell of it, let's replace it with a sitarist, cricket uh-huh. cricketerist, yeah. uh, whatever that word composite, <laughs> mad portmanteau word would be. I think... Maybe the odd different umpire. I'd like to see Paliogurige up near the the top of the charts because I've (laughs) practised pronouncing his name and I've got that spot on. And I would like to see Joffre Archer again. In fact, I'd just like to see Joffre Archer all day, every day for the rest of my natural life and let that be for
4: another 50 years.
1: But what about your feedback for the ICC? What would you like to see at the India World Cup?
4: India will be in in the final anyway, so it doesn't matter. Maybe we'll just find another team to fill up the other slot. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully Pakistan. Yeah, that would be good. India-Pakistan final in Calcutta. Uh, Might just sell a few tickets, (laughs) maybe. Maybe, maybe. You know what? Maybe we could have uh, more, like not more teams really in there, but we could have like a qualifying tournament just before the World Cup. So that like, you know, the team that qualifies is fresh and it's not coming on the back of, having qualified a year back. Like Afghanistan, I think I felt bad for them because they had such a good team a year back. And then they go through yeah, so much. Yeah, but then much. you're
1: just adding more games to an already long tournament and they're not going to be very fresh for very long, are they?
4: As if the qualifying tournament will be broadcast or anybody would care about them anyway. <laughs> See,
2: this is what I, I was going to say is like, I quite like the format of the current World Cup where everybody plays everybody. Absolutely. And like when you break it down to like seven, seven groups, it's just not as fun, this is the truth, right? There's certain fixtures you really, really want to see, it. and you can either manufacture them and separate them, or everybody plays everybody, which I think is the most judicious way to do it. Like you say, Barrett, I'd like to see more prominence on a qualifying tournament, yeah. like in the Football World Cup, and the, or the Euro qualifiers, right? The, the qualifying matches are huge, right? There's a huge amount of significance attached. I'd love for them to be broadcast, to be covered in a way yeah. for that kind of significance to be attached to the qualifying tournament, That it, the final ten teams. I'd like it to state I actually, I I, I buy into it, you know, in spite of the fact that it's an Indian (laughs) suggestion, I buy into (laughs) the idea of like 10 team World Cup. I think this tournament was a wonderful advertisement for that format. But yeah, let's get more prominence on the qualifiers. How did Afghanistan get there? Why did Zimbabwe miss out? That's a story that I want to see with more kind of attention on it
1: what about a better way to decide a tied final
2: nah this is the way to do it forever (laughs) boundaries forever boundaries 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 forever and ever and ever and ever and ever I mean I quite like Dan's idea of multiple super overs just keep going super overs I guess it's a bit mean to the players after a certain while but I don't think matches like this should ever be tied I mean I've heard a lot of people talking about tied and nobody should lose I think you've got to have a winner you've got to have a loser that is sport feel it feel the crushing disappointment feel the ecstasy of win and know that it's not permanent. You're the feeling for this particular tournament, you'll never lose, but you'll have a chance to redeem yourselves multiple times over. That sport, no ties.
4: You think the ICC really sat and thought, yeah, yeah, final will definitely go into a super <laughs> over. Yeah, they just said, yeah, if it goes, it's it a tie, we'll play the super, Bowl. and then they were like. Oh no! Does anyone know the rules? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah.
2: yeah, it's clearly a rule somebody made at the, yeah. the end of the day. It's like a twenty. Th- it's like, guys, my wife's waiting. I want to. <laughs> yeah, we want exactly. to go to this dinner. Like, what? What's the rule, right? Yeah, super over, super over. They're yeah, super yeah, yeah. over. Well, they have
4: the IPL on TV. Well, yeah, then, yes, we, we want, the want great that. Great yeah. rule, great
2: rule. Everybody, we're going home, and that's it. It's just like, just finish it, like because it's it's like a contingency for something that should never have happened, and it's it happened.
4: We saw it happen.
1: It's I know. incredible. It's time to say goodbye to my guests, Atif, Barrett, Dan and Barney. The Edge will be released in selected cinemas from 19th of July and across all platforms from 22nd of July following a special screening featuring a Q&A with the stars which will be broadcast into cinemas across the UK. We will be back next week to preview the inaugural Ireland test with Guardian sports writer and proud Irishman Barry Glendinning, Test Match special scorer Andy Zaltzman, and musician Mark Butcher. So that's the World Cup done, but we should go out in style. Atif, could you do the honors, please?
2: Of course. What a wonderful World Cup it's been. England are the champions. The Ashes are next, and here to play us out are Buckley's Chance plus special guest fiddler Emma John.
1: You ready? Yeah.
5: Well, we started out from Roto when the sheds had all cut out. And we'd whips and whips a rhino, we meant to push about With a three-spot check between us and Sydney in our eye And we canted Lazy Harry's on the road to Gundagai We canted Lazy Harry's on the road to Gundagai The road to Gundagai, not five bars and boon rye We canted Lazy Harry's on the road to Gundagai
0: spin is supported by NatWest. To find out about how NatWest is making it easier for everyone to get involved in cricket, search NatWest Cricket.